I'm Justin Lesko, former pro MMA fighter and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. We're focusing on strength and conditioning today, and I have a giant in the strength and conditioning world coming on to talk to me, so I am pumped. And if you're wondering, do I have to change out of my epic role stuff for strength and conditioning workouts? The answer is absolutely fucking not. Not only does the code PODCAST15 get you 15% off of geese, rash cards, and shorts at epicrollbjj.com, it also gets you 15% off joggers, t-shirts, hoodies, hats, anything you need for any part of your life. You should already be tagging at Epic Roll BJJ while you're rolling in your new stuff, so why not start tagging them when you're doing strength and conditioning workouts as well? EpicRollBJJ.com, coupon code PODCAST15. Look your best doing work on and off the map. My guest today has worked with some of the most elite athletes and fighters in the world, such as Joanna Janjacek, Dustin Poirier, Junior Dos Santos, and Colby Covington, to name a few. He won the World MMA Award for Trainer of the Year in 2019, and he owns and operates his own performance center in Boca Raton, Florida. He also offers online coaching. He has his own Fight Dominance app, and he hosts a podcast where he talks to some huge names in MMA. He also has a very successful YouTube channel where he breaks down basically everything you need to know about strength and conditioning for combat sports. I'm very excited to pick his brain. Please welcome to the show, Phil DeRue. Phil, I appreciate you taking the time to come on with me based on the... 30 things I want to talk to you about and projects you have working on. I know you're extremely busy. So thank you so much for taking the time. My time is crazy. And, and I do appreciate you just reaching out and keeping it going. So I'm happy to do it. It was partly my fault too. I, I had surgery on my knee. Things yeah. got all screwed up. So yeah. hectic schedules trying to make it, make it happen. I we're here now. So that's all that yeah, matters to me. For so sure. no problem, man. What happened to your knee? I tore my posterolateral corner and okay. my meniscus. I was working for a calf slicer, and as I went to like push away for the finish while pulling, it just all popped. Fortunately, ACL, PCL was all good, but I'm like five months of recovery before I'm even drilling again, which sucks. But damn, yeah, yeah. I I tore my ACL um, in the gi. I want to say now it's been about two years, and um, you know, it took me almost like six to six months to eight months to actually get the surgery because I just been I was coaching the whole time. Yeah. Yep. And I finally got the surgery and uh, I was good. I got off my crutches within a, like a week or so. And then I started to train like very heavily and I was going to do a triathlon and I was running nonstop. And then just everything started to, to break down on me. I, used, I got uh, two ankle sprains on top of that. And then my back started to go and then my shoulder and then just, you know, cascaded injuries. And that was all because of postural imbalances and stuff like that. But I'm still battling it back now. I'm doing all the physical therapy, all that stuff, you know, and for me, you know, as an athlete doing the raise your leg up, put it down, move it over here. Like all that stuff is really boring. So I'm trying to like stick with it and do it as much as I can to try to just make the process go as quick as I can. But yeah, it's, it's killing me because there's, there's so much I wanted to compete in the, in the spring. We're coming into like triathlon season. I wanted to train for some marathons in the fall. And it's just like trying to learn to walk again is not the coolest part, but. Have you, have you did anything this major before or no? So when I was fighting MMA, uh, I broke my arm blocking a head kick okay. and it sucked. It was bad. You know, you break your arm, that sucks. 
but it took four surgeries because it got infected. It wouldn't heal. And that was just like the end of my fighting career. So uh, you're like one of the few strength and conditioning guys who's actually fought before, right? That's not really common. I think I'm one of the only ones, honestly. Yeah. Um, knowing, knowing a lot of the guys. Um, there's probably there's probably a few now. And I know a lot of kickboxers uh, that I that I consult because I have a mentorship program with the other coaches like from around the world, which is dope. But um, a lot of kickboxing guys, uh, Muay Thai guys that get into strength and conditioning, especially over there in, in Thailand. So I think those guys really have a good grasp on like how to how to obviously communicate with other fighters. But it's cool to see that you know you're taking that. I always like to talk about pivoting, you know, and taking a direction that is still going to suit you and get you successful no matter what you do. And there's times where you're going to have to do that. And there's a lot of athletes that I know that do not know how to pivot after they're done with their career. And ultimately they try to go back and then it just worse and worse and worse. They end up losing fights that they should have won or getting injured. And then ultimately having to stop on a bad note, as opposed to something like, like Khabib does and, you know, ends on a big, on a big win, go out on top and then goes and, then goes and starts his promotion and, and is killing it there. So there's really ways to do it and understand like there's other things outside of fighting that you can do. And it's not, that's not the only thing that you can do. You know what I mean? For sure. And, and how did you make that transition from fighting to coaching? Was it just like the next logical step or was that something you had planned as like an exit strategy? Not really. I never really had an exit strategy, which I look back now and I always tell my fighters to have something, not an exit strategy per se, but also have something that you know you're good at other than fighting that you can go into when this is all said and done, because this is a small portion of your life. But I've always been intrigued with the weight room, um, with training strengths, training power, you know, conditioning here and there. I hated conditioning regardless, no matter what it was. And I think even when I was fighting, I hated to like do road work and all that shit. Um, I can curse on here, right? I'm good. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. Go ahead, man. You're good to go. My, my man. So yeah. And I remember the first time I, I stepped foot in a weight room. It was actually a gym. It was a Gold's gym. And my grandfather took me to Gold's gym at about 13 years old. He snuck me in. And uh, he, he was like 75 years old, benching like 275 for like reps and stuff. So it was cool to see. And I've always been intrigued with like getting stronger. Uh, I was doing martial arts as a kid. So I did Kempo Karate. And then I played football. So, you know, being at brute sport, we were always trying to get bigger, right? So even when I was a young kid, I always knew that I had to get stronger, get faster, get more powerful in order to be dominant on the field or whatever the case may be. And I always want to look the part too as well. I'm not a big guy. I'm 5'8", you know, yeah, but I, yeah. I was like, you know, I want to, I want to, at least if I can't grow up, I'm going to grow vertical. I'm going to grow horizontal. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, right. You know, and I was like, all right, I'm going to build my body and I'm going to get strong and, and I'm just going to be a force to be reckoned with on the field. And so... I started doing like little workouts here and there and my teammates and my friends would come by and they would, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. So they would ask me what to do. And I really didn't know what I was doing either, but I just, I had a like almost intuition of like, all right, if I do this, it should work this muscle. And if I do that, it should work this muscle. And then I guess prioritizing what we would call periodization now and understanding how to program these things to where you're solid, you're, you're steadily progressing and not overtraining yourself. Then I started to get into like program design and periodization and looking into guys like uh, Louis, uh, Louis Simmons and looking at the old Soviet text because I got that from Louis and then looking at uh, guys like uh, like Joe DeFranco and reading their articles and looking at studies and things like that. This was probably around, I was probably about 14, 15 years old. 
So by the time I got to my freshman year in high school, um, I was highly sought out as a, we would call it down here in South Florida, it's a peewee league. So it's a little league football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So like high schools recruit these kids from that young age because they know that they're going to take them and it's almost like college, right? So South Florida and Texas and California were all really serious about football, right? So American football for you guys that are overseas, by the way. I know I messed yeah. this up a lot. <laughs> you have to specify, you know, we're worldwide over here, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, let's get you worldwide. Let's do it. That. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I think, and then I, uh, I remember going into my high school weight room and I was like, I had all this stuff and I was like, wow. Cause I was just working out with like a barbell and, and I had like a, a tire and a sledgehammer and my boys would come over and we would just train. And so I see all these, all this equipment that we had. And I asked my coach, I was like, well, what is our program? And it was just like a basic five by five program and very, very simple, you know? And at the time it could have worked no matter what, because we're kids and we soak up everything, you know, and I work with high school kids now and have my, my coaches work with them and you can pretty much do anything with them as long as you don't get them hurt and they're going to get stronger. They're going to get bigger, you know, so right, on and so right. forth. It's, it's those kid gains, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the young adult gains. Yeah. 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 If you don't do anything, you know, anything is, is better than nothing, you know? So, right. So, yeah. And I was like, all right, but there's gotta be a better way. And I was really heavily into like conjugate and Louis Simmons stuff. And so I was like, and I told my coach, I said, I've been reading this guy's stuff. And he's like, oh, this is good. <laughs> and I remember he's like, you want to run the program? And I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started writing up programs for the high school team. And so as I'm playing, I'm working as a freshman, working my way up. I, I uh, ended up going immediately from JV to varsity my, my freshman year, uh, playing my first game in varsity. Did really well. And then. So after that, you know, altogether, I started to learn more because I was like, man, this is really good. And I like to see not only myself get better, but other people get better and people that depend on me to get them better. So that coaching mentality kind of was there from the jump as a high school kid. And I remember back in the day when I was a kid, I used to bring the football over to my friend's houses and get them out of the house and tell them, let's go play or, you know, let's go play right, manhunt right. or something. And I was always the guy gathering people together to do something active. And I guess that carried over to me now with me being a coach and me being a leader, owning my own business, being a father, so on and so forth. So it was very important for me to understand that at a young age. And now I see it looking back, I couldn't connect it back then, but now looking back, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So with that being said, to answer your question, I think that I've always had it in me to be a coach. And it just so happened to the stars align appropriately. And it was my time to make that pivot out of competing at, at the professional level, at least from a fighting standpoint. Sure. A lot of things, a lot of things happened, you know, concussions did play that, you know, it was more so it was 50, 50, like my choice and outside influences, you know what I mean? And things happening from an injury standpoint. So yeah, at the age of 26, I ended up retiring. I had about, that I can count, I had about eight concussions, like serious concussions, where I was like almost at the hospital type stuff. And right, my right. last concussion, I was actually two weeks out from my last fight. And it was a freak accident with one of my sparring partners. He threw like a kick and, and it hit me in the back of the head and it rocked me. And I was, I mean, that's standard, right? You spar and yeah, you yeah, get yeah. rocked here and there. But it, this didn't, it didn't like, um, you know, you get rocked and like, okay, you're good after a couple of hours. 
but it lingered on for a good week. And so I went to a neurologist and they were like basically telling me if I don't stop, I'm going to have Alzheimer's by the time I'm 50 and giving me all these things of like, oh, this is bad. And I'm like, oh man, here we go. And it took me two weeks really to be like, maybe I should stop because you, you, you took, like, I went from football, ended football and I'm like, I need to compete. So I started fighting. I started training. And in the beginning, I wanted a box. I didn't want to do jujitsu. Sure. I, I wasn't, I had no aspirations to put on a gi or anything like that. Right. I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to box. And Dean Thomas was like, listen, if you don't get in a gi, your ground game is never going to be as successful as it can be. And I didn't believe him. And I didn't believe him for like the first three fights of my pro career. <laughs> and that was the problem because I got submitted my first pro fight in my, in my third pro fight. And I'm like, well, maybe there's some real truth to this, right? Maybe there's something to it. Yeah, yeah. So I really started getting heavily into the gi. And lo and behold, I ended up winning my last fight. And I was on a roll at this point. And uh, then just so happened that I got the concussion again. So it was a lot of ups and downs, you know. And, and life is like that. It's undulating. Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of, I take it in stride. I, I really don't dwell on the, the bad things. I kind of, I stay optimistic, you know, and, and that's, that's the major key is when a lot of people get those setbacks, you see it yourself, you know, we just got to find a way to keep improving and keep moving forward and take that as a means to learn. You know, I bet you're learning a whole lot right now, being able to sit there with you. And you learn a lot about your body. You learn about, yep. you know, ways not to let that happen again. Not, not from a fear standpoint, just from a wisdom standpoint, you know? And I think that that holds a lot of water as you're going through life as a, as a, as a man, as an individual. Yeah. You're just taking in input. You know what I mean? When something happens and you have to adapt to it. Like when I, when I stopped fighting MMA, it was a really, really, really difficult time in my life because I had dedicated years and years and years to this goal of being the best fighter in the world. And then you can't do that anymore. And it's a hard pivot. But now looking back, like I wouldn't be married with my two kids if I was still fighting. So it was really dark for a while there. But yeah, I think it worked out better because I wouldn't trade my two kids for like a UFC championship. So I still came out on the better end of things. But I wanted to ask you a few things just about when you're when you are coaching and when you're working with athletes, because you touched on a little bit like the more scientific approach to just sort of, you know, as opposed to coming in five by five and slinging the weight around with that more scientific approach. How much data are you collecting on each athlete that you're working with and how does that inform the decisions you make with their programming? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. You, you can't you can't manage what you can't measure or you don't measure. So like we always measure in the beginning, in the middle and in the end. And so when they start off, usually they get guys coming into the camp or if they start a camp or if they're with us all year round. And usually now we do because I have my own facility. And so a lot of the guys from like Sanford MMA or American Top Team will come by and they'll stay. And this is good because we'll give them an off-camp program, an in-camp program. We got a lot of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners, guys going for Pan Ams this, this uh, in the next couple of months. And we got some big names. And, and for that, it's like, well, now I'm able to actually train them year-round as opposed to when I was working at Top Team, I didn't have that ability. A lot of guys would come outside the country that would get here. I would run an assessment. I would understand what they would need based off their limitations, based off the game plan. And then I would formulate the strategy in that time that we had, maybe eight weeks, maybe six weeks, maybe sometimes even four weeks. And then that cutoff of four weeks is like, I really can't do much with you at this point. I just got to make sure that you're not getting hurt. 
So it, it, it ends up being like an extra workout in that sense, because there's really no progression that I can do within a four week span and only training you two times a week, you know? So ideally I like to get them year round because now I can control some variables. I can actually talk to and communicate with the skills coaches. I can build them up a solid base instead of jumping right into sports specific prep or, you know, something that's going to have high correlation over to the sport directly. You know, I want to develop a better athlete. And when I develop a better athlete, it can transfer over into be a better fighter, whatever the case may be. So we are secondary. We're complementary to the skills training, especially in combat sports. So what I want to do is I want to get a solid metrics. I want to see data that's going to allow me to one, show the skills coaches where the athlete is and, uh, and give them an understanding of why we're testing this. And then as we train, we want to improve those numbers. And again, they're just numbers, but it is a good indication of that the program that we're doing is actually working. The problem is, is you have to get good statistics. You have to get that good data and you have to have good testing measures that actually makes sense for the athlete and for the sport. So I can test them on certain things. Like I'm not going to test them on a 40 yard dash or something along the lines of that. Now, if I wanted to do it from a general perspective, just to see where their top end speed is, maybe just to see where the athletic ability is. Right. But I'll, I'll aim more towards where's a five yard or 10 yard time. Right. Cause that's acceleration. And a lot of the sport is acceleration in certain bursts of energy when you're, let's say a blast double or something like that inside of close quarters of a cage. Even with, uh, even with grappling, nogi grappling is the same thing, you know, um, but major things like grip strength and fatigue management is key there too, as well as finding out, you know, how well they're improving and how well they're able to adapt without overtraining themselves. So again, I'll go back to the grip strength. I'll go up, I'll back to uh, an isometric pull at a mid thigh. Things like that have higher correlation to whatever we're trying to do, you know, and I'm actually trying to get more specific with our testing measures. You know, when it comes down to how fast you can get in on the shot, how fast your, you know, your one, two punches, um, how powerful is your overhand right or overhand, overhand left per se, you know, and those things give me better correlation. So whether that be putting force velocity uh, devices on a landmine and having them do a landmine throw, um, having them get on a jump mat and having them leave the jump mat and see how fast it takes from the time to get off the ground into a blast double or into some type of takedown. Those things can be um, definitely a good sign or indication that a person is, or an athlete is getting better at that particular sport. And it's also good for the skills coach because they're actually seeing like, oh, this is actually giving me some, some good data to showcase that, oh, he's actually getting better at the movements that we do on the mats or in the cage. Perfect, that's what I need. You know, another thing that, that really counts is if they win the fight. So, so no matter right, what, right. they gotta win, right? So. I've seen this a lot. I've, I've trained over well over 200 elite level fighters. Um, I can truly say that no matter what you do in the camp, the main things that are really going to dictate an athlete's success rate is their ability to recover from training, their ability to cut weight optimally, replenish for the fight. And then also the biggest thing is having the ability to cut out all the noise when the fight comes and being able to perform when the cage door closes, when you step in the ring, when you step on the mats, when a time really counts is truly where you separate the good from the elite. And so I've been able to train those elite guys. And I, and I see for myself because 
I've been on both sides. I've been at, you know, there's been times where I stepped in a cage and I was like, man, this don't feel right. I just feel off. And then there's been times where I stepped in the cage and closed, you know, I closed the door and I feel at home. You know, I feel comfortable. Right, right. I feel in the moment. Yeah. I'm in the moment the whole time. And I can imagine, I've been to, I've cornered guys in the UFC, I've cornered guys in bare knuckle fights. <laughs> and I'm just now being on both sides as a coach and as a fighter. And I'm like, man, it's such a, it's such a crazy experience, you know? And you know it too, being a fighter. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and only a few know, only a chosen few know how that really feels. And coaches have to understand that if they never stepped in a cage, especially strength and conditioning coaches, because a lot of those guys aren't, or they haven't been in combat like that. They haven't fought before in a, in a sanctioned fight. And it's different in the streets. And, you know, and even I, 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 have, I hold my military guys in high regard. You know, I have total respect for those guys. That's a different type of, uh, of strength. It's a different type of anxiety. Um, but this one's a little bit, it's, it's, just, it's just a different feeling. And so when you can understand that, and when you can get a guy to really put on and put the effort in and not be wavered by all the outside distraction, clear the noise and, and go after it and carry out the game plan without anxiety, that's truly going to allow for all the things that we've worked on in the camp, whether it be skills training or physical prep, to show itself at the most optimal level. With all that being said, you have a lot of great resources where you can help fighters and help athletes. And, and I want to talk about that in just a second. But for someone who's just maybe getting started in a fight career or an athletic career, is there something that you can look and say, so many people do this wrong in the beginning, so many people make this mistake and something that people should avoid more than anything else? I'll say in the beginning for myself, I was too quick or I wasn't patient enough to stay an amateur, um, to stay learning the game, learning the process, learning my own style. Like there was times where I would switch up styles. Like I didn't find my own way of fighting. And that's a problem. You know, a lot of guys get into the sport and they automatically want to go to the UFC. Now, don't get me wrong. Now with kids starting MMA at like the age of seven and eight, it's totally different than when me yeah. and you started actually. Yeah, different game. It's just a different game right now. Yeah. And when I started, it was in an MMA gym, but like it wasn't to where it is now. And, you know, I remember just really, and it was more so that I needed money too as well. I, I was only like training guys here and there. I was sneaking them into like, again, sneaking them into Gold's Gym and, yeah, and, and yeah. just like getting, you know, $20 a session here and there. And I was like, man, I, I, this is not what I really wanted to do. I didn't want to be like a personal trainer per se. You know, I wanted to fight. I wanted to compete. I wanted, you know, I wanted to put myself at that level of where I see guys at. And I knew that I had the ability to do so. So I was quick to try to get there just not being patient at 21, 22 years old, not being patient enough. And that's the major issue is like, let's, let's hone in on our skills. Let's take our time. This is a long game. It's not, it's not a short sprint. We need to make sure that we're taking strides in the right direction. We're learning from mistakes and you're learning from mistakes and losing fights that aren't going to hinder your record as a pro, because it, let's face it, if you lose a lot of, you know, things, a lot of fights that you should have won, then it's very hard for you to make a true living out of the sport. 
Sure. So sure. if you slow yourself down, you're going to make more money in the long run instead of trying to get the quick bag, right? Get that quick cash. And that's true with anything in life. That's not just in fighting. That's in business. That's in your relationships. Take your time, right? Go through the ups and downs. Feel out each process. Gain some wisdom, right? And by that, I mean experience and recollection, right? And understanding what happened. And then from there, you can th start to develop an elite style, an elite game. And I think a lot of fighters, they miss out on that opportunity to show their true potential because they rush the process. Your YouTube page is just like an incredible free resource for people. But if people want like even more from you, if they want to have Phil in their corner, what extra resources do you have and where can people find more from you? Yeah, so uh, Instagram is Strong. Twitter is Strong. My YouTube channel, Phil Strong. We also have uh, my brand new program out. It's Body Armor 2.0. So I had Body Armor 1. It's an eight-week bodyweight program. Um, this is the next phase to that. So we have two phases if you ever wanted. If you never did Body Armor 1, I make sure you go do that. And then you got Body Armor 2.0 that just launched a couple of days ago. So excited about that. And if you're a coach uh, that coaches athletes, uh, especially combat sport athletes, check out my mentorship program. It's, uh, it's basically we have a thousand plus coaches from around the world that share information. You get on a call with me and then you get all of the access to everything that I've learned, all my systems, all the methods, all the protocols, everything that you've seen me do, it's there for you to learn and to understand and to help your athletes grow. So that's it. Perfect. And to be honest, like I'm a huge fan of your YouTube page. The stuff that you oh, put out you. for free mm -hmm. is a great resource. So all of those resources that you have for people, it's, I don't, like I said, I don't know how we had time to sit down and talk today because you're probably the business, busiest man in all of martial arts and strength and conditioning, but I, I appreciate you coming on and, and hanging out for a little bit. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate it. You have a good one. All right, brother. Thank you. Huge thank you to Phil DeRue for coming on the show and talking to me. I put the links below to his website and his social media and pretty much everything you're going to need. So head down there and check those links out. We talked a lot about YouTube in this episode. Do not forget to check out our YouTube page where you can find lots of content that doesn't work in an audio only format like technique breakdowns or match highlights. And sometimes I post breaking news things on the YouTube page that I don't put on the audio only. So make sure you check that out. That link is below as well. Thank you all for listening and I will see you all in the next episode.